Well, hello again. It's been a while. Man, I am super excited today. You know, we closed out a series last week, and we're starting a new series this week called Tis the Season, where from now to Christmas Eve, we're really leaning in on topics that will really help prepare you for the next year. And you know, I have with me a, a, a very special guest, but really he's more than that. He's a, he's a friend. And I want to talk just a moment about friendship. I know I've talked a little bit. I'm going to give him a chance, I promise, because it's so good. I've heard it two other times, and it gets better and better every time. But you know, years ago when we planted the church, I had absolutely no experience at all. I had worked in ministry, building teams, kind of back in the technical and creative area. And, but one of the things my pastor taught me growing up is that when God calls you to do something, okay, and you don't know what to do or how to do it, he always surrounds you with people that can help you. And it's up to you to make sure that your eyes are open and you're looking for those people. You're continually growing in your own life relationally so that when those people come, you don't like, you know, push them away. You can kind of see them. Sometimes you even have to pursue those people. You know, before we planted the church, uh, I didn't come here to plant a church. I actually came here like many of you. Uh, the army told us to. Come on. I was an army wife for 11 years. Come on, 2020. Now I became, I'm, an, I'm a retired army wife. Uh, but when we got here, we just started praying about where to go. And we honestly couldn't find a church. There's some great churches here, but there was just nothing that really clicked with us. And I started talking to some friends who, who said, hey, why don't you plant a church? And I was like, I, I didn't even know you planted churches. So they started connecting with other people who planted churches. And I started reaching out, trying to figure out what we would do, where we would meet. God put the Cinemark movie theater on our heart. It's like, that's where we're supposed to go. I had never been in a mobile church, never seen it before in my life. I never pastored a church. The first time I spoke was on launch Sunday in our service in the Cinemark. And so I knew that I did not know what I did not know. And so I immediately started looking around. I started asking my friends. They're like, man, I, man I, I, we've been in mobile, but we've never been in a movie theater. And we're not really sure, but let me ask my friend. And, and finally, I got a pastor on the phone that said, you know what? I have a friend that just planted a church one year ago, right? One year before you in a town called Rosenberg. And guess what? It was in a Cinemark movie theater. And so he gave me that pastor's number. They were a year into their launch, about, about six months actually at that time. It was summer. And I remember calling him and he immediately picked up the phone and we started connecting on church. And man, he made time for me that later I would realize he didn't have. He didn't have the time that he made for me. And, you know, as we're on that phone and he's talking to me about all the logistics and the things that we've got to get ready to do and what's most important and all of that, he just says, you know, you just have to come down here. And then without even being prompted, he literally goes, and you know what? I've been where you are. You probably don't have any money. Okay, so I'm going to actually pay for you to come down here. I'm going to cover all of your expenses. Kyle and I would go down and we would meet Pastor Jim and Phyllis, and they would be such an encouragement. At the time we met them, and I don't know if I've ever even told you this, I was really questioning why in the world God would call somebody with zero experience, right, and, 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 to, to come and do something that he's never done before. And I was really doubting my call, but after getting around them, seeing what they were doing, after being invested in by Pastor Jim and Phyllis, it was just like the breath of fresh air that we needed. And the truth is, I saw an Anchor Bend church what I see today. And he really, really helped me. And I'm going to tell you, you need people in your life that want more for you than from you. They're not showing up thinking, what can I take? They're showing up thinking, what can I give? How can I contribute? You know, we talk about this a lot in the church. We talk about how so many people in their faith never find meaning and fulfillment because they're always consuming and they're never giving. 
Did you know when you give and you offer your life to someone else, it actually builds you as well? And that's exactly what Pastor Jim and Phyllis did that day. Not only did they do that, they actually wrote a check. The very first dollar that went in that wasn't on my credit card came from Pastor Jim and Phyllis in Anchor Bend Church. And so I'm going to tell you, like, as we were praying about this series, kicking it off, um, I believe he has a message, and he wrote an incredible book we're going to talk about a little bit later as well. But it is really a, it's his life message, but it is such a great message as we look forward into this holiday season, but also as we look into the next year. And so if there was ever a time to lean forward, take notes, pay attention, I believe this is that time. So would you join me in welcoming my good friend, Pastor Jim Kyles? Come on. Well, good morning, Vintage. How are we doing today? Come on. It's good to be here. So thrilled to worship with you. Uh, aren't you glad for your pastor's yes? Come on, let me ask you again. Aren't you glad for your pastor's yes? That he would step out into the unknown and say yes to the call of God and look at what's happened. You know, I'm so amazed at what God is doing here. Pastor Stephen and I have been friends. Um, I love celebrating. The only thing is he, he kind of bothers me a little bit because when we talk, all he talks about is you. He just celebrates you and talks about how much he loves you. This man sleeps and breathes and eats discipleship. And uh, he thinks about you. How can I help you live the life God's called you to live? How can I help you? No matter if you stay here long term or if you're transitioning to a different place, that he would build the foundation in your life. And I know this man and his wife love you, love this church. I love seeing all the campuses launching into the Spanish service slash church. Uh, what an amazing thing. I want to encourage you. Uh, he would know more than most people, but where you're seeing expansion, I want you to know that a lot of churches across America are not seeing expansion. They're closing their doors. And sometimes when you have a front row seat to the miracle that God is doing, you can take it for granted. And I want to encourage you, just even look around. Look around right now. See how full this room is? So turn to the other side to the neighbor that you didn't look at, the awkward neighbor. Yeah, there you go. Say, I'm looking over there too. And why would I have you do that? Because I, I literally have friends, and so does he, pastors whose churches shut down in the middle of the pandemic, close their doors, and you're not shutting down, you're expanding. Not one campus, not two campuses, not three campuses. You're adding this Spanish campus, and I believe God's going to continue to accelerate what he is doing. And it's not just because of your pastor, but it's because of your yes. And I want to encourage you. I know you guys just did this big pledge that there is more campaign raised just over 2 million in pledges, 2.2 million, over 300,000 given in the miracle offering. And uh, here's what I want to encourage you. Don't be a spectator, be a participator. Come on, let me say it again. Don't be a spectator, be a participator. What is my part to engage in the vision that God has given this house. Because how many know you can be here, but not actually be involved with what's happening here? And so I want to encourage you, engage. Those of you that are here for the very first time, you got to come back next week. You're going to hear the real pastor. He does a much better job than me. And so come back, uh, listen to him. And those of you that are kicking the tire, I want, uh, tires, I want to encourage you. Uh, if my family and I lived here, we would come to this church. You don't have to keep kicking the tires. Come lock in here. Join small groups. 
get involved serving, be a part of the giving, the generosity, the expansion. And I promise you, God is going to do amazing things in and through you. Can I get an amen? amen? Such an honor. Pastor Stephen and I have been friends for many years. And finally, I get the privilege of being here. And um, I, I want to send greetings from my church. My church is having their third service right now as well. And uh, they send their love. We're in actually a series called At the Movies. And so they're enjoying that today. Uh, McFarland is what they're watching today. And so I don't have many Sundays off to go out and visit. And so I'm honored that this is the place uh, where I'm at this morning. My family sends their love. Here's a picture of my family. Uh, you've got my beautiful kids. I've got two boys, my 16-year-old son right there. You heard me correctly, 16. Pray for your boy. He's driving. We're praying in the Holy Spirit all the time now. Uh, my 14-year-old son looks like a model. Um, anyway, uh, got my older daughter right up there in the front. Her name is Addison. And then my younger daughter, her name is Raylan. And she's actually here serving in the children's minister, uh, ministry with Pastor Stephen's daughter, Addie. How uh, I many know PKs? I said, isn't that awesome? She's here at another church. She's like, how can I serve? I'm like, come on, girl. Uh, and then, of course, my wife. We've been married for 22 years, um, and she sends her love. My oldest daughter uh, came down with the flu, and so she is at home with them, with her. And my sons had a hunting trip. I mean, come on, church hunting. They chose incorrectly. We will have some conversations later. Uh, you know, it's funny being a dad of teenagers. I got three teenagers. One's about to be a teenager. You guys have got to pray for me. Uh, we've added some new titles. Not only is it husband and father, it's Uber driver, ATM, you know. Um, <laughs> so pray for your boy as we continue to try to shepherd the hearts of these teenagers. It's a, it's a great fun time. Now, pull out something you take some notes with. I'm excited today. I'm going to talk from a topic that I write about in my book called Unstuck and Unstoppable that Pastor Stephen alluded to. You get your copy out in the front. We actually just released it uh, publicly last week, so I'm super excited about that. Some of you don't read. That's okay. With The Audible version is available. Come on, thank God for Audible. And uh, you can go to Amazon and get that as well. But um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the journey of getting unstuck and becoming Unstoppable. I didn't set out to write a book. Um, you know, somebody said, well, what did you do? Well, I was stuck. So I mean, no, I was just trying to get unstuck. And your pastor will understand this, but what do you do when you're called to give hope, but you don't feel hope? What do you do when you're called to get on, you know, help others get unstuck, but you feel stuck? Well, that, that's where I was in the, the global pandemic as a church. We've been portable. For eight and a half years now, through the pandemic, um, we actually purchased our first location, rehabbed it. Now we're having church in our first permanent location, which we're super excited about. But it was in the summer of 2020, I was just feeling, man, I was feeling stuck. I, you know, we had been online. We weren't able to be portable in the school that we were renting. And so our church went from an on-site church to absolutely 100% online. Uh, we were purchasing a building in 2019, the end of 2019. We started a building campaign. And then imagine this, we were supposed to close in April of 2020 and COVID hits in March. And so I'm like, God, what are you doing? And then not only with the church, personally, how many, how many woke up 2020 January and said, I want to homeschool my kids? <laughs> I want to do everything remote. I'm gonna, how many found some cracks 
and some fault lines in your family, in your marriage, in your ministry, in your workplace. Areas that we were able to cope with because of the busyness of life. But how many know when you live and breathe at the house with your entire family, you're faced with the reality of what you're producing. There's no mirage. There's no second guessing. And so I was calling out to God, God, how do I get unstuck? And Forget the church, because if I'm stuck, the church is going to be stuck. And he led me to the story of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27 and 28. It was in July. I was reading my one-year Bible, which I love. If you don't read that, I want to encourage you to do that. It gives you a little bit of the New Testament, Old Testament, Psalms, and uh, Proverbs. And so I happened to be reading, and in the story in Acts chapter 27 is the story of the Apostle Paul who gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. So if you know the story, um, if you've been around Christianity at all, Paul is a prisoner. He's made an appeal to Caesar, so they're taking him to Rome. He's on this ship. He tells them, listen, we shouldn't go this way. It's dangerous. Nothing good is going to happen. They don't listen to him. They go that way. They get shipwrecked on the island of Malta, barely surviving. They get up on the island and He's just serving. Here's what's funny. He's just collecting wood, just like many of you serve on the dream team. He's serving, contributing. And while he's doing that, a viper bites him, which should have ended up in his death, but it didn't. God miraculously preserves his life. And because of that, the islanders who were once thinking he must have been a murderer now think he's a god. So he has a platform to preach the gospel. He goes to the leader's house and heals the leader's dad of dysentery, and then begins to pray for people in the island, and we know that a revival breaks out. And later in the story, in Acts 28.10, he's been shipwrecked. All of a sudden, I began to read, and it says, And when we were ready, the people provided all that they needed, and they set sail. And I felt the Lord really speak to me. Jim, I know you feel stuck. But when you're ready, I'll provide a way out. Don't worry about trying to get out of your situation. Find a way to make the best of the situation that you're in. Because a lot of times what we do is we ask God, God, deliver me from what I'm walking through. God, help me get unstuck. Help me to get through this hard time at work, this tough point in my marriage, this struggle in my family, whatever it is. Maybe it's a financial difficulty and trial. And though we can pray about it, what I felt like the Lord said was, as you pray, do the assignment that I have placed in your life. In other words, Paul's shipwrecked. This is not of his making, and yet in the middle of being shipwrecked in the bad situation, he fulfills God's assignment for his life. And as you look at the Apostle Paul, here's what's amazing. This man goes from bad situation to bad situation to bad situation, and yet he never gets stuck. I mean, when you read his story, he's shipwrecked a night and a day at sea. He's stoned and left for dead. The, he says he's danger in the field. He's danger in the city, danger in the Jews, danger with the Gentiles. His whole life is marked by that. But yet you never see him getting stuck in a situation. He continues to let God shine in a miraculous way, whether in a good situation or a bad situation. And he finishes his life well. So I began to study, okay, what does Paul do? I think there's four things that Paul understood that helped him live an unstoppable life. The first thing is he uncovered his identity, who he was in Christ. So Paul understood who he was in Christ. 
which is so important for us today. Who you are is not based on what you do. Second thing is, and I'm going to go through these quickly because I want to land on the last one. His purpose, what he was supposed to be doing right now. He knew his assignment. Some of you are existing and drifting through life, but you don't know God's assignment for your life. And I'm going to encourage you, know who you are in Christ, but then know what God's called you to do right now with your life. But you don't stop there. Paul learned the third thing. He had vision. Vision for where he was going and a picture for the future. And that's so important because... It allows you to have something to pull you past your day of pain. When what I'm doing is tough, when what I'm doing is a challenge, the vision of God pulls me beyond my day of pain. And then the last thing, and this is what I want to talk about today, is paradigm. Paradigm. His conscious and subconscious pattern of thought. He had the right framework for his thought life. When you look at Paul, see, we are convinced that Many people, when you read the Bible, uh, we look through the lens of I am who I am because of the good or bad circumstances around me. No, Paul was who he was because of the thought life he had within him. So whether good or bad, because he had the right paradigm, because he had the right thought life, he could change any situation around and use it for the good of God. Look, we see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the pattern. So what is he talking about? That's the old paradigm. That's the old habit of thought, the old way of thinking of this world. But be transformed. Everybody say transformed. Say it one more time. Transformed. Now that word in the Greek is metamorphosis. That's to be changed into something brand new. I was this but I've been transformed into something else. And here's the challenge with Christianity. And I, I believe even as I've evaluated my life and other people that we get to disciple is we want to be transformed through the power of a prayer. Through some, it's like God prayed for me and, and, and God does change us. So someone walks up, you're delivered of drugs and alcohol. My story, and I write about it in the book, I was literally on drugs and alcohol, had been on a five-day binge. It was 1230 at night, February 7, 2003, in my bathroom. And I had an open vision of God writing on this, the wall, and there was a, a fork in the road. One way went to heaven, one way went to hell, and he said, choose now. And I walked out of there having an encounter with God, kicked everybody out of the house. And it was absolutely amazing for the next five hours, God would deliver me from drugs and alcohol and all the addictions in my life. But the deliverance has to be followed up now with a choice of how I live my life. Otherwise, that moment of deliverance, it's good in the moment, but you'll fall back to the old patterns. In other words, we can pray for you and deliver you, but has your thought life been renewed? And if it hadn't, look, you delivered today, but you'll go back to the drugs tomorrow. You'll go back to the dysfunctional relationships. Why? Because it's not just about the prayer of deliverance. It's the thought life of God. How do I renew my mind so that I can live a transformed life? And here's what we know. That takes an active participation with God. It's not passive. Like, God, I've got to intentionally focus on my thoughts so that I can be transformed in my life. And when you read this and study the life of the Apostle Paul, we know in Acts chapter 9, if you're new to the faith, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. 
And so as you read through the the New Testament, you'll see the mentality that Paul has. And it's easy for us to assume that on the road to Damascus, that he had that encounter in Acts chapter 9, God miraculously changes his mind. He's transformed. He was a persecutor of Christians. Now he's the disciple creating Christians. But what we don't understand is that he actually, after that moment, goes into the backside of the Arabian desert for three years. So imagine this. God changes him. Now he goes to a place where, God, I need you to change my life. Spiritually, I'm brand new, but now I've got to live it out and learn how to think how you think. Live how you want me to live and be how you want me to be. And here's something that's even more interesting. He doesn't go on his first missionary journey until 14 years after his Damascus Road encounter. And sometimes we'll walk out of here, get saved, give our life to God. And we're like, God, a week later, we're like, why hasn't everything changed? Why is it all still the same? Well, because it's active work going in and not just changing the external, but we've got to change the internal. God, transform me, help me to think differently, live differently, and be different. Can I get an amen? So for Paul to be changed and transformed to God changing his paradigm. And I want to give you four things about paradigms. Paradigms. Number one, paradigms are the unseen subconscious programming that runs in the background of your mind. Think about that. Unseen subconscious programming that runs in the background of your mind. Now, your mind is broken up in two parts. I want you to look at this. We've got a picture right here. So this is an iceberg. This gives you a good illustration of how your mind is. And there's actually three parts to your mind. Your conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. But I don't want to talk about the unconscious right now. Conscious mind. This is what you're aware of. This is your willpower. You know, where you muscle up. Like, hey, we're going to muscle up. Like, I'm a good soldier. I'm just going to do it because I'm supposed to do it. And yes, God calls us to be a good soldier. But he also calls us to live a transformed life. And that happens internally in our heart and in our mind. The second part is not the conscious, but the subconscious. Think about this. That's the autopilot behaviors. That's what you do when you're not thinking. So let me give you a case in point. How many of you drove here today? How many of you don't remember driving here today? (laughs) Yeah, so autopilot, right? You drive the same way, you take the same. And so you got here and you're like, oh, we're already here. Well, it's autopilot. It's subconscious. You didn't, how many had to really think about how to eat a bowl of cereal today or eat some breakfast or brush your teeth or put on your clothes? You don't have to think about it. In fact, it's a, it's a unique feature that we have in our bodies that it causes us to save energy. So a lot of times your mind automatically does things without thought so you can store energy and thought power for what you need to focus on. And so, but this below the surface, the subconscious, that's your belief, your values, that's your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your self-love. It's the patterns of your life. It's your emotions. And so many times we never address this as a Christian and we wonder why we secretly sabotage ourselves. I mean, think about this. You can be saved. Have you ever met someone that's saved and genuinely saved? They're going to heaven, but they live a life of dysfunctional relationships. It's like they bounce from one relationship to the next. Maybe it's friends, maybe it's marriages. I've met people that love God with all their heart and they've been married five times. And what I always look at is the only common denominator 
is you. Right? Because it's easy for you to say, well, if they treated me right, then we'd still be together. If they said this, if they did that, well, the only common denominator is actually us. And what we understand is there is trauma and pain that has happened that has caused you to withdraw from those relationships. And it draws you into these dysfunctional uh, relationships. Think about someone that moves from job to job to job to job. You ever met somebody like this? It's always the company. It's always everybody else. It's always the employees. Well, what we have to understand is nobody can trigger you except you. So in other words, what you do... And what other people do, it shouldn't trigger you. And if it does, they're not the problem. We are the problem. And we've got to deal with that subconscious paradigm that sabotages our life. Paul did. Here's the second thing. Your paradigm, whether good or bad, creates the reality that you live in. So let me show you this picture of this dog. So how many like that? Anybody like dogs? So here's what's funny. Not everybody had an ooh and awe moment when you show the dog. There's some of you in this room, you show this cute little dog that couldn't hurt anybody, wouldn't hurt anybody, and you feel anxiety. It's like you start to, your pulse and your heart rate starts going up a little bit. And you, now, it's irrational because this little dog is not going to hurt you. But what's happened is that some people who have been attacked by a dog as a child, when they were attacked... Their subconscious mind believed this thought. All dogs are dangerous. All dogs are dangerous. So then when you see a dog, no matter how little it is and how sweet and cute, you don't see a cute dog, you see danger. Because of the trauma in the past, unless you've dealt with it, it's what causes you to now react instead of respond. So if you see this cute dog, everybody else is like, ah, cannot pet it. You're like, no, nah, we're going to go the other way. Right? Well, what is that? That's the trauma of the pain of the past that you have experienced. And it's irrational fear that is causing you to be paralyzed in your life. And that's an example of where trauma from the past that's unresolved will cause you to miss something that's really a blessing. The fear is irrational. The dog's not going to hurt you. Think about how that plays out in church. You walk into Vintage Church. You meet Pastor Stephen. Everybody here is amazing. God's called you here. You can feel the presence of God, the power of God. And so you come in and start to build relationships. However, as you start to get close to people, there is trauma and pain from the past. People start engaging with you, inviting you to hang out. Because of past unresolved pain, you start to feel anxiety. You're like, nope, it's going to end up just like everybody else. I always get hurt. It never works out. And instead of embracing the place God's called you, you begin to sabotage the relationship that God brought into your life to bring healing and hope and restoration to your life. You with me? So we, we, and then we'll just say, well, it's all good. You just find yourself withdrawn. You're secretly sabotaging your own life. And it's because of this trauma from the past that's unresolved and never been dealt with. Here's the third thing about paradigms. Your paradigms have almost exclusive control over your habitual behavior. Almost exclusive. So in other words, virtually all of your behavior... Um, is habitual. In fact, neurobiologists and cognitive psychologists say that up to 95% of what you do is habitual. So you don't think about it. The way you eat, exercise, relax, the way you reason, you know, someone will say, oh, that's impossible. 
Well, the reason you say that is because of your paradigm. It's this mentality when you were young, someone implanted, you can't do that, you can't be that. And so the natural response is whatever you grew up with. That's illogical. Have you ever heard that? You ever said that? That's a filter that someone implanted in your heart when you were a child, either through the environment you grew in or an experience that you have. Here's the fourth thing. Your paradigm shaped the way you interpret what you experience. So let me say it like this. Your paradigm is your filter. Let me say it like this. You don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. That's how come you can have two different... Two, Two people share the same experience and walk out with two totally different ideas of what just happened. Let me, let me show you this. Look at this glass. What do you guys see? Come on, there's a glass, right? That's, yeah. What do you see? Somebody said bold, half full. Come on, how many see a half full glass? How many like, I just don't want to get it right. I don't want to get it wrong, okay? Half full glass, raise your hand. Okay, how many really half empty glass? Thank you for the three bold people. Come on, one, two. I would have been the same. I see a half-empty glass. Now, the reason this is important is because the, what you see determines how you respond. So, so let me give you a case in point. I'm at a restaurant. You and I are both at a restaurant. How many of you saw the half-full glass? Okay, cool. So you're sitting there. You don't think anything of it. You're like, man, I'm good. This barbecue is great. You got enough to drink, and so you're, you're happy. I'm sitting there. I wouldn't see a half-full glass. I see a half-empty glass. So here's my thought process. Hey, barbecue's good, but where's the waiter? Where's the waitress? Hey, look, I'm about to be, anybody with me? You're like, hey, I'm about to be empty. I need, I need somebody. He's nodding. You got me, right? It's like, hey, somebody needs to fill this up. So the person who is seeing a half-full glass enjoys the moment. It's like, wow, this is great. The one who doesn't is now responding to the lack. Where in your life do you have this kind of a response? Where you see, God, you're not enough. God, it's not going to be enough. I don't have enough friends. Whatever your situation is, the finances, the, the, the vision for the future, whatever you're seeing. When you see lack, you now become discontent. And many times we get ahead of God, missing that God wants us in this moment, fully enjoying what he's given to us. Why is that? Because it's not what happens to you but how you interpret what happens to you that matters most. And that's what we see with Paul. Paul goes through all the struggles, all the trials, all the situations, and it's not what happens to him, it's how he he interprets it. God, I know I'm shipwrecked on the island of Malta, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to live this life out. And as he does, people are healed, people are saved, God's will is done. And so he recognizes this is not my preference. This is not my choice. But if I'll embrace that the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and to destroy, according to John chapter 10, 10, but there's a second half. God has come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So though the devil's trying to steal, kill, and to destroy in this situation, if I can flip the paradigm to say, God, you've come to give life. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know why it's going to turn out, but I do know that God, there is good in here and I choose to focus on you. It'll absolutely change your situation. 
Now, the, natural, uh, the National Science Foundation, here's what's interesting. They did a study, and they found that the average person has 12 to 60,000 thoughts in a day. 12 to 60. Come on, men, we're probably closer to the 12,000. Come on, somebody. I don't even think I have 12,000 thoughts. But look at what's so funny. Of those, this is what's interesting. 80% are negative. 95% are repetitive. So think about this. God saved you. God has changed you. And yet we're still thinking the same old thoughts that we were thinking before Christ. It doesn't just change because your eternity is now secure. That's not what happens. You have to partner with God to change your thoughts. Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Now, a lot of times we stop there. God, I'm going to stop because you transform me, but that's not what he says. He says, look, I'm going to change you by changing the way you think. The battle is in our minds. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, that word mind in the Greek is actually habit. It indicates habit of thought and an attitude that's expressed by deeds. So look, he's saying, look, let the habit of thought that was in Jesus be in you. Let the mind and the attitude that was in Jesus be in you. And so many times we can blame it. I, I'm convinced, I don't know about you, I think the devil gets too much credit. Oh, the devil's be, devil didn't have to do nothing. He just leaves us to ourselves because we haven't regenerated our thinking and our thought life according to the Word of God. And He, a lot of times, just leaves you alone. If He leaves you alone, you'll sabotage your own life. But what we've got to do is say, no, God, I want your mind, your heart, your thoughts. In fact, here's our goal as a believer is to align your paradigms, both conscious and subconscious, with God's Word so that the way we view the world is in alignment with the way God views the world. How many know God has a way of thinking? And we have a way of thinking. Let me say, how many know God has a way of thinking? And then we have a way of thinking. Look what it says in Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So here's what we've got to do. Whatever situation you're faced with, here's what I would ask you. Do you see what God sees. Look, look at this. Here's a great illustration. What do you guys see? Well, you are quiet. What is it? So I heard. Ah. She is. Which one? The one looking to the left? Is that a young girl? Who sees the young girl? Who sees the old woman? Somebody's like, young girl, I see an old witch. <laughs> How many see the young girl? Raise your hand. How many see the old witch? How many see both? Okay, how many only see one? Raise your hand. Okay, so keep your hand up. You just see one, you're like, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> Hold on, listen, this is, this is my point. A lot of times we're in this kind of a situation. If you see both, I would equate that you see what you see, but you can also see what God sees. But for those of you that only see one, that's the frustrating part about life. You're looking at the situation and you're saying, I only see this. And God's like, I know what you see, but there's actually a different view. There's something 
else. And here's what I would say. If you see the old woman, there's one response. But when you see the, new, the young girl, there's a different response. So we have to say, God, I know I'm looking at it, but if I don't have your perspective, show me what you see. Because when you see what God sees, it changes the way you respond. Now I want to talk about changing paradigms. There's two things. Two things to changing paradigms. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal old paradigms that are sabotaging your life. So if you think I've got an old paradigm that's sabotaging my life, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you whatever that paradigm is. I'm going to end with this story, and then I'm going to close the last point. It was 2019, and we started the journey for buying our property in our permanent location. And I'll never forget, as we started the journey, our overseers, our trustees, we all were in agreement on this building that we felt like the Lord had given to us. So we identified it, but we didn't have the money. We actually had to raise a lot of money in a very short amount of time. And I'll never forget, I'm a man of faith, but I'm also a practical person, kind of like I already told you. I, I see the glass half empty. That's, that's my struggle. I'm like, I know what it's going to take. I mean, we're going to charge the hill. And I'll never forget, I said, God, if you want us to take that building, I have got to know this is you. Because I'm not trying to build my kingdom, and I'm not going to bankrupt your church. So I'm praying. Walk into a Saturday morning prayer and the Lord spoke to me in a very powerful way. I write about it in the book. And he gave me Jeremiah 32, 27. I am the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, once he gave me that passage, that's when I stood up in December. I'm like, man, I, I got it. God, I'm not coming off. Because I think once you have a word, it's like, have you ever had that resolve? It's like, I'm not coming off of this. God, I heard from you. I'm not moving. Well, then COVID happened. And we were still trying to raise the money. And I'm like, God, I don't know. And my question to God was, God, are you still in this? God, are you really going to give us that building? God, is this really something that you're going to do? And I began to pray. And the Holy Spirit, I'll never forget, I was in prayer. And I, this is what I heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And I didn't hear it audibly, but I heard it within. Fishing with Johnny. And I thought, well, that's an odd statement. Like, that's not a scripture passage. That's not anything spiritual, fishing with Johnny. So I began to think about it. And I remember a time when I was 15 years old. And so I felt like the Lord said, I want you to go back and process fishing with Johnny. Now, here I am in the middle of being stuck. And this is part of what I write about in the whole journey even to paradigms. So I'm like, okay. I go to my counselor. I've been in counseling now for almost a decade. Thank God for counseling. Come on, somebody. You jacked up. I am jacked up, and so are you. And uh, so I, I'm processing, and I'm like, hey, I just felt the Lord told me, fishing, can I just process this with you? So I remember when I was 15 years old, and my buddy Johnny asked me to go fishing with him. His dad had just bought a brand-new boat. My dad worked all the time in restaurant business. And so I never had the opportunity to go fishing. And when he invited me, it was a big deal. I, I'd been wanting to go fishing, and this boat was an amazing boat. And I'm like, awesome, it's Friday night. I go over to his house, we're loading up the boat, and all of a sudden it starts downpouring, just raining, cats and dogs. And I'll never forget, in my heart, I'm like, God, I, I just want to go fishing. 
And Johnny said, well, we're not going to go tonight. He said, but we'll go tomorrow. It looks like it's going to clear up. Why don't you stay the night, and we'll go out tomorrow when it clears up. I'm like, cool. So I asked my mom. She said, yeah, you can stay the night. I stayed the night. And I'm praying to God. I'm like, God, listen, they tell me, because I was raised in church. I, I hear, God, that you care about the little things. And that all I got to do is pray. And then when I pray, you answer. Now, here's what I said. God, I've never asked you for anything. All I'm asking is that it doesn't rain tomorrow. Now, I don't even know why it was such a big deal to me. But for whatever reason, it was such a big deal. We wake up. Looks like the sun's peeking out. Get up on the boat. All is good. And all of a sudden, it starts pouring down. And we can't go. And so he's like, bro, we're just not going to be able to go. And I'll never forget in that moment, I made an inner vow. I will never get my hopes up again. Because when I get my hopes up, that means, you know, I, I'm disappointed. And that was, listen, man, that was the moment I shut myself down to emotions. I'm like, I'm not going to feel the low, low of disappointment. But here's the problem with that. You'll never get to experience the joy of great fulfillment. And so here I am, I shut it down, and then this is the thought that the enemy planted in my mind. Paradigms are not based on reality, it's based on the thought you believe, whether it's true or not. That becomes your reality. Here was the thing. God, you do miracles for everybody else, but you don't do miracles for me. Now imagine this. I'm a pastor. I'm 43 years old. I have seen miracles. I have been a part of miracles. I could quote scripture on miracles. I have prayed with people and believe in miracles. And yet deep within inside of my heart was this false belief, a paradigm that had paralyzed me for taking risk, believing God would do a miracle. And I didn't even know it. And I often think about this. I wonder how many other miracles I missed because of that paradigm that had sabotaged me. And so I just quickly acknowledge, God, I'm so sorry. God, I know that you can do this. God, I'm believing that you can do it. And here's what I felt the Lord say. You weren't asking me if you could buy the building. You were asking me, can I keep it from raining? How many fishing with Johnny stories do you have in your life? Where the enemy, when you peel back the layer, it's not because of them. It's not because of him. It's not because of her. It's not because of that job or this person. What, it's because of the sabotage of the paradigms that the enemy placed inside of your heart. And as a believer, there's nothing more frustrating than knowing there's more, but not knowing how to get to more. And that's where the last part of this is. Here's the last thing. Replace the lie of the enemy with the truth of God's word. What's God's word say on it? 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. And that's my prayer today that no matter where you're at, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what paradigm has paralyzed you, that God would expose it and then allow you to help build a new paradigm full of his power, his grace. Father, we thank you for today. God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. God, I pray that today that you would 
change us, transform us. God, even as the Apostle Paul, Lord, he didn't, he didn't stay stuck, but he was unstoppable. God, would you help us live an unstoppable life that the areas where the enemy has lied to us, deceived us, God, that you would expose the lie and replace it with the truth and the power of your word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,